Well, welcome to another episode of 20 Schemes Uncut. I'm Pete, I'm the director of the Hub in the West of Scotland for 20 Schemes. They've actually let me do another podcast, right? But they've said I can only do it if it's with another elder of Greenview Church in Glasgow, right? <laughs> so we've got Andy Hunter, that he fits that bill, and then I'm going for Colin and John next, okay? So we'll just let you know that. Um, but Andy, good to have you with us. Thank you, good to be here. Do you want to share us a little bit about who you are, kind of brief history of ministry and what you're doing just now? Sure. Okay, well, I live in Glasgow, south side. Uh, go to Greenview Church, the elder there. Uh, married to Jessica, got three children. One's working, one's at uni, one's at school. Mm-hmm. And I work full-time with FIEC, Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. And my job is to try and support and work with churches in Scotland and the north of England. And before that, you were, what was it called, a church worker? Yeah, pretty much that, pastor. Okay, church worker, pastor, teacher at Greenview. Mm-hmm. So I worked uh, there, local church ministry, for nine years. Uh, and then I had a spell in Bible college. And then I was working for Strathclyde Passenger Transport yeah. for a number of years before that. So that was my kind of day job before ministry. Excellent. And my favourite story about Andy Hunter is when he appeared legless on the stage at the FIC conference. I'm sorry, <laughs> what I mean by that is you fell on the way up the stage, is that right? <laughs> I, yes, that's right. Yeah, a lack of a, a hand rail yeah. on the way to the pulpit. So, yeah, thanks for mentioning that. No I mean, you always bring the banter, Andy. It's one my, of the things I love most about my, you. My finest hour, really. I'm yeah. glad that uh, has served people well in the years good, since. Right. Andy, you, as part of your role then, I guess your job is to go about Scotland and trying to network, care for pastors in the FIC mm. and try and bring others that maybe are a similar statement of mm. faith who would agree with what we if I see belief and bring them in, which means I think you'll have a good kind of handle in some ways mm. of the kind of church in Scotland mm. and the kind of state of that. Mm. So I want to talk a little bit broadly just about your kind of take yeah. on that, what, what you see is maybe the trend in the Church of Scotland, Church of Scotland, mm. just now, and then maybe think a little bit about kind of what we're trying to do is 20 schemes and if mm. you would match up with that or if you agree with kind of our take sure. on that. So in terms of Scotland as a whole, like, we've got a lot of listeners from America. A lot of people remember us of the kind of land of the book. Scotland's got this great gospel history. We would say often it's not really like that now. Mm. Is that the case? Like, how would you describe the change since of our kind of history of the nation? Yeah, well, I think it's a good starting point because I think there is a bit of romanticism mm-hmm. about Scotland in the past. There's always romanticism mm-hmm. about the past, you know, whatever you're thinking about. But it's not entirely kind of mm-hmm. disconnected from reality in that Scotland has been quite remarkable mm-hmm. in its kind of Christian history. Mm-hmm. I think if you think of its kind of Reformation history, uh, its mission impact on the mm-hmm. world, the godly men and women that have come out of Scotland, mm-hmm. the impact it's had uh, in many kind of areas of kind of theology mm-hmm. uh, and example, it has been quite remarkable. I mean, Scotland has definitely punched above its weight for fairly small, sparsely populated country mm-hmm. stuck out in the bleak North Atlantic. <laughs> uh, and if you actually go back even over the last century and you see just how much the church has declined, I think you have to see that kind of backdrop to see where we are today. So even in 1950, uh, a quarter of the Scottish mm-hmm. population would have had membership uh, of the Church of Scotland. Oh. And were you alive at that point then, 1950? No, You're quite. a pastor of the church, no? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing the census. Um, so you go back, I mean, even in my lifetime, so if you're t- talking about when I was growing up, you might just have missed this. But like in my lifetime, 
on Scottish television, mm -hmm. ministers were given a nightly slot to kind of speak to the nation. Really? A little slot called Late Call. It used to come <laughs> on after the news in the evening. And a minister would sit there and, you know, give some kind of address or some thoughts on the Bible or mm -hmm. something like that. It wasn't always terribly kind of punchy in terms yeah, of this gospel yeah. content, but that was a kind of measure of the kind of place that the church had and the influence the church had uh, in Scottish society. Uh, so we've had a great Christian heritage. Uh, 1851, 60% of Scottish population were in church on church census Sunday. And do you think that would have been quite strongly evangelical, the kind of teaching then, the positions yeah. of the churches? Like... Yeah, largely, largely, I mean, not entirely. Uh, and then, of course, what you get in the 19th century is a kind of shift towards a much more liberal mm -hmm. uh, church, which I think has huge consequences then for what happens in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. uh, but really up until the mid of the 20th century, you still have a very large degree of Christian identification, mm -hmm. uh, of church association and affiliation mm -hmm. in Scotland. Uh, but then really from the kind of 50s, you see these really kind of calamitous kind of falls. Mm -hmm. uh, and I suspect that the kind of foundations, in a sense, the kind of faith beliefs of Scottish society had been hollowed out for quite yeah. a long time before that. Uh, and a bit like a big sinkhole that, you know, suddenly appears, mm -hmm. actually the kind of and underneath has been getting washed away for quite a long time. Uh, and you start to see really the reality of that from the sort of mid 20th century onwards. So if you take the Church of Scotland, which really historically, I would say, was a kind of shining jewel yeah, yeah. Uh, in the crown of Christ in many ways, mm -hmm. historically, in terms of its impact and some of the godly men and women that come out of the Church of Scotland and its heart for mission mm -hmm. uh, and other things like that. The Church of Scotland has declined by 80% since mm -hmm. 1950, which is a kind of 4% decline a year, wow. which equates even today to about 100 people leaving it a week. Uh, or not being there a week, and that's partly ageing kind of demographics, but it really is kind of calamitous. It's these real cliff-edge falls mm -hmm. that you've seen. But it's also, at the same time, over that period, the Church of Scotland has deliberately taken a more liberal, progressive um, stance on a lot of theological issues, like from mm. the, when I was working mm. in Church of Scotland, I remember from the 70s, mm. there was kind of downgrade of what, because of the Bible, mm. and a lot of that kind of thing. Like, do you think that's coincidental? Do you think there's a... Like that's a fair kind of assessment mm. that the further we get away from the truth of the word, the mm. more we're going to expect the church to. Really, yeah. I think that's just our kind of hobby yeah. horse. No, I think I think that is very much at the heart of the declines. And these things are complicated. Mm. There's lots of other kind of social trends and things going on in mm. society. So you can't just reduce it to one thing. Yeah. But sometimes the kind of reasons that were classically put forward for church decline don't always kind of stand up under analysis. So when I was at Bible college in the kind of noughties, I had to do an essay on why did the British stop going to church in the 20th century? And you look at the kind of classic things that are put forward. So people say, well, it was the rise of education and science. So as people became more educated and they understood the world better and science offered them all these solutions to their problems, then of course they're going to leave the mumbo jumbo and the fairy stories of religion behind. Uh, but if that was the case, you'd expect the biggest and most calamitous falls to have been among the more educated parts of society. Mm -hmm. And actually, often it was the reverse was true. Mm -hmm. So even today, and we'll come on to this, mm -hmm. I'm sure, discussion, the parts of the evangelical church that have stood up the best 
are often the more kind of middle class, kind mm -hmm. of professional, university educated churches. Mm -hmm. So there's no kind of correlation or direct correlation between being more educated mm -hmm. and not believing in Christianity mm -hmm. or thinking the Bible can't be true. Mm -hmm. And also with kind of prosperity, people say, well, we just got better off, we became mm -hmm. more comfortable, living standards rose, and therefore people didn't need the comfort blanket of God mm -hmm. and religion anymore, could stand on their own feet and all the rest of it. But again, if you look at the States where living standards historically have been higher mm -hmm. than in Britain, especially in the 20th century, significantly higher, the evangelical church stood up and held up much more robustly, mm -hmm. despite having much higher levels of prosperity than they did in Britain. So again, you can't say, well, just because people became better off and had more money, then of course they kind of gave up in faith. So I do think, not that those things didn't have any effect, you know, I'm mm -hmm. sure there's impacts there, but I do think the kind of key thing is that in the late 1800s, you have the emergence of a much more liberal church and liberal theology mm -hmm. across many of the larger denominations uh, in Scotland and across the West, which guts the kind of gospel of its spiritual power, mm -hmm. really, uh, because mm -hmm. the, the heart of the gospel uh, is often undermined, confidence in the Bible is taken away. Uh, and even from a human level, it just robs the imperative for faith and for the mm -hmm. church. If we're all just going to end up in heaven, mm -hmm. if there's no urgency about that, uh, then what's the point of the church? And if it's just about being a bit nicer, well, there's plenty of non-religious people will sign up to that. Mm -hmm. So in lots of ways, I think that kind of emergence of liberal theology was calamitous. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can trace many of the origins of church decline mm -hmm. back to that. And I do think, it's probably a bit of a strong statement, but I do think personally that Throughout the 20th century, what you saw was a liberal church squandering its evangelical inheritance mm -hmm. because it wasn't liberal theology that got the church in Scotland to the point where 60% of the population were in church. Mm -hmm. Now, again, there's other factors there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be simplistic about it. But that would be the number one factor, I think, if you're looking for a reason for just a falling away of confidence and a robust faith and an imperative for the gospel in Scotland. It was definitely, just again, makes sense because our confidence mm. is that Christ builds his church through his word. Mm. And if we're going to start eroding that, then it yeah. makes sense that the church is not going to have a solid foundation and it's going to yeah. fall, right? Like that, so the picture today, I remember the Barna research, must be maybe 10 years ago now, mm. yeah, and it said at the time, was it 50% around about that are still identified in mm. Scotland mm. as Christian in some sense, but in many ways, it was a kind of cultural label because when you got down to the heart, so it's that Bebbidon quadrant of like mm -hmm. what it truly, the kind of necessary of conversion and authority scripture, all that. And there's what, two and a half percent, I think, at that stage that actually would be what we would consider biblical Christianity. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, it's could be easy for people, maybe even people in Scotland today mm -hmm. would think, well, no, Scotland's still got a lot of Christians and it's a Christian nation in mm -hmm. many ways. But actually, if you're at the heart of that historic orthodox, mm -hmm. what it is to believe mm -hmm. the Bible, be a Christian, mm -hmm. even 10 years ago, it was 2.5%, mm -hmm. which is really low. And I think, is it, I know, one of the American NAMB or IMB or whatever, the mission boards, would class uh, unreached people group as like under 3%. Mm -hmm. Which again, I just thought was always really stark because mm. you would never think of Scotland as that unreached people group mm. in that sense. But if we're talking about those figures right at the heart of biblical Christianity, mm. it seems yeah. to be. I think that's true. I think there's very few these days that would be truly evangelical, would truly 
Can mm. it be historically orthodox in mm. terms of what it is to be a Christian? Yeah. I think that's undoubtedly the case. I think we're a tiny minority in terms of being Bible-believing mm -hmm. evangelical Christians that would believe those kind of key tenets of mm -hmm. faith about the deity of Christ, the inerrancy of the Word of God, penal substitution, mm -hmm. those kind of core heart doctrines uh, of the faith of the gospel. And I think the research you mentioned kind of bears that out. So 2022 this year is a census year mm -hmm. in Scotland. So we've not had one for 11 years because it should have been last year, mm -hmm. but it's been rolled over because of COVID. So we're waiting to see what the census will say about religious belief and affiliation. Mm -hmm. But in 2011, it was 54% of the Scottish population mm -hmm. identified as Christian in the most mm -hmm. kind of superficial, nominal way you mm -hmm. can imagine. You know, they looked at the list and they thought, well, I'm not a Muslim. Yeah. You know, I'll tick the Christian box. But that 54% had dropped from about 65 or 67% mm -hmm. from the previous census in 2001. So it's hard to imagine that the, this Scottish census, which has been carried out now, won't be the first Scottish census in history where a majority of the Scottish population don't identify as being Christian mm -hmm. uh, and even the most superficial sense. I, I was almost certainly, I would be astonished if, mm -hmm. if the number of people who identify as Christian doesn't fall below 50% uh, at this time. Uh, but within that kind of 50% of kind of nominal identification, of course, when you start to break down what people actually believe and church attendance, mm -hmm. of course, that figure kind of falls away massively. Mm -hmm. So that uh, research you mentioned, the Transforming Scotland mm -hmm. kind of research that was done by the McClellan Foundation, uh, again, bears that out. Uh, I think they got down uh, to a kind of figure of round about kind of 5% or 7% for kind of people who kind of assented to kind of the core evangelical mm -hmm. doctrines. There were some people who kind of called themselves kind of born again Christians, yeah, but when yeah. you asked them what they actually believed, the numbers who believed in things like the deity of Christ or the inerrancy of the Bible uh, or in a kind of personal faith or what the cross meant, of course, was much less. Uh, and even beyond that kind of 5% figure, uh, some other kind of research that's been done, some of it a bit more ad hoc, mm -hmm. um, I think kind of pushes the figure down to kind of like the kind of 1, 2, 3%. If you want to be very optimistic, you know, maybe 2 or 3%. Mm -hmm. But you know yourself, Peter, if you're standing in the centre of Glasgow or if you're standing in the centre of Edinburgh on Princess I don't know why Street, you'd want to stand in the centre of Edinburgh, well, but yeah, it makes yeah. sense. But, but for, for scientific <laughs> yeah, research okay, okay. purposes, obviously. But if you're standing one of these kind of main thoroughfares in Scotland mm -hmm. on a Saturday, the idea that more than one or two or three people in a hundred that are passing you mm -hmm. have a strong, robust evangelical faith mm -hmm. You know, I just don't think any of us really buy that or would yeah, believe yeah. that. So I think we're right down at that kind of very base level. I remember when we were at Harper and Alan McKnight, they did some research, must have been maybe six or seven years ago now, mm. and just looking at Glasgow, the city mm. council boundaries, and they had a broad kind of definition of like a broadly evangelical Christian mm. um, or a broadly evangelical mm. church. Now, some of them, I remember a big one had like Creflo Dollar speak at it, so very broad, probably nothing where we would want to mm. consider ourselves. But even then, it was generously one and a half to two percent of Glasgow would mm. attend a broadly evangelical church. Mm. 
which again is crazy because again Glasgow is very much a, a history of this kind of gospel mm. ministry the, the mm. whole slogan like let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of his mm. word the praising of his name mm. and again I think it's really interesting case study Glasgow in the west not just because that's kind of my role but at the, as Scotland as a whole has mm. declined you can see that very mm. clearly in this kind of city like Glasgow and a really other interesting thing about Glasgow is you see the split I think because if you take of like in a mainstream secular Scotland I think the percentage of people identified as Christian will be a lot lower. Mm. When you come to the more deprived communities or the scheme communities, I do think you will have a lot more people identifying as Scotland. One of the reasons for that mm. is because there's a big kind of Protestant Catholic divide mm. still. And so historically, culturally, there still is. I'm a Rangers fan, I'm Protestant or Catholic. Mm. Um, and yet again, on both sides of that Protestant or Catholic, it would be a normal understanding of the Again, historic mm. confession of what it is to be a Christian mm. in the Bible. One of the things we're actually going to release, hopefully, in the next week or two, is a podcast with one of my mates who is diehard Protestant. But we want to talk about preaching the gospel to Protestants because, again, just being a Protestant doesn't mean no views. But also, mm. one of my mates who mm. grew up culturally a Catholic and how we then mm. take the same gospel to mm. the Catholic community as well. Because I do think that sometimes those figures can be masked. Mm. And even walking about the schemes, mm. there's a lot of people would consider themselves Christian because mm. of that kind of mm. cultural identity. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard to get to the heart um, of that kind of mm. what it truly means to mm. believe the, the Bible and, mm. and to know Christ in that way. So that's got a lot of statistics stuff. Mm. You spent a lot of time driving around Scotland. Mm. Um, is that kind of played out when you kind of drive about? So think of some of the mm. communities you go to, mm. like some of the evangelical, it's all mm. evangelical churches you go to, like... Are there still like a lot of vibrant evangelical churches in many of these communities? Mm. Could it be said that the liberal church has been shrinking, but the evangelical church has been growing? Mm. Or do you think there's still a bit to go to see um, mm. the revitalization yeah. of the gospel and that kind of thing? Yeah. No, I mean, there's huge gospel needs wherever you go. So even where you look at areas where there's some encouraging stuff going on mm. and there's a good, healthy church, relative to the wider population of course it's still a pinprick mm. you know a couple hundred people in a community of ten thousand you know is still really sort of scratching the surface so you're thankful for it uh, i just go back to the last point you know i think you we want to be generous mm. you know in terms of our kind of wider kind of constituency of brothers and sisters mm. you know in the gospel so in terms of the talking about key gospel doctrines, you know, yeah, want to be generous in the types of churches that those are in yeah. and reflected by that and the work that's going on there, not to be too kind of narrow uh, and tribal. But yeah, I mean, that, that definitely there's big need there. I think in terms of the question about the kind of collapse of some of the bigger denominations, mm -hmm. but also how does that kind of play out with the kind of more evangelical churches? I mean, one of the interesting statistics which has been recorded by the kind of Briarley research uh, when they did their kind of Scottish census in 2016 was that the proportion of Christians who would identify as evangelical has risen within the kind of overall total uh, of Christians. So I think in the 90s, it was about 25% or something of Christians would identify as evangelical. By the time you get to 2016, it had risen to about 35%. Now, the overall kind of numbers of Christians has declined, mm. but within those who still call themselves Christians, it seems the evangelical churches kind of held up better or mm. certainly more people see themselves uh, in that kind of frame of reference. Mm. And the significance of that is that if somebody in Scotland does meet a Christian today, mm. 
that Christian is that bit more likely to kind of know the gospel and believe the Bible uh, and give an account uh, of Jesus Christ, which we would believe is more faithful uh, to uh, his message. Uh, so again, one of the things you've seen with the evangelical church, uh, and the evangelical church hasn't been immune from decline. Mm. I mean, clearly evangelical church mm. has shrunk as well, and there's lots of reasons why a church might close, mm. never mind kind of liberal theology, uh, legalism becoming culturally irrelevant, uh, sin being tolerated, respectable sins being tolerated. There's lots of reasons why uh, a church might decline or close, division, for example. Uh, but the one part of the Scottish church which does seem to have shown a bit of resilience and even a little bit of growth has tended to be the evangelical part of the church, whereas the more liberal kind of bigger denominations have just seemed to have gone through the floor. Which again, again we would expect that, aren't we? Because yeah. the gospel, like the church yeah. is meant to thrive on the margins of society. Yeah. Whenever we get wrapped up as the kind of dominant mainstream culture yeah. kind of thing, I don't think that's not where the light shines brightest mm -hmm. right we're meant to be on the margins we're meant to you yeah. know be that different mm -hmm. community which points to the, yeah. the hope of christ yeah. but to get, get to your point so it's pete about you know where the, the needs are within sort of scottish towns and cities and the rest of it definitely the case that as i said before often evangelical churches have held up in slightly better off more middle class areas mm -hmm. Whereas there has been a big collapse, a big retreat in many ways from more deprived or traditionally working class areas. So if you look at a city like Glasgow, you can kind of correlate the chances of having an evangelical church in your area mm -hmm. according to the kind of prosperity or how well off that area is. So the kind of more middle class or more prosperous an area is it's probably statistically more likely like to have I, an I know the figures. In it. So Harper and research that they yeah. did find that again in the kind of west of the city, the kind of mm. more culturally middle class, mm. affluent, arty mm. places, you could find in some of the kind of districts four evangelical churches mm. for every ten thousand people. Mm. Now, if we get folk listening in other countries, particularly America, mm. that's still minuscule, right? We want way more than mm. four gospel churches for ten thousand people, but in the like wards in the east of the city that would be considered the most deprived mm. wards, the ward that we were in before we launched, mm. they found there was a third of a gospel church mm. for every 10,000 people. And that was the place across mm. the board that in the kind of richer, more affluent middle-class mm. areas, there was far more access to the gospel mm. than in the more deprived areas. And even some of the churches that were in deprived areas, mm. actually the people that went to those churches would kind of drive in from mm. more kind of middle-class affluent areas yeah. and come in as well and again just anecdotally like even today i think in the, in scotland the uk it's far more likely someone's going to plant a church in a city center or mm. a student district or all that mm. it is in these communities yeah. even though they have less access to the gospel in our type of communities yeah. it's still not somewhere where i yeah. think you would go but i guess what i'm asking you is is that just our party line Right, because mm. that's what all the Americans who would they want to give mm. us money want to hear, <laughs> or is think that is fair? Like as you look at, even if you just mm. focus right in the FIC, mm. where are the vibrant, mm. growing churches, mm -hmm. and is that every? Are there places where there's actually still a lot of struggle and like small churches that are in danger of closing? And how can you kind of survey that for us? Yeah, so it's a very mixed bag. But as you say, I mean, one of the things that's been encouraging is there has been a kind of pushback to obviously being aware and conscious and concerned about some of the more deprived areas mm -hmm. and working class areas, not least because of the work of 20 Schemes and others, mm -hmm. uh, networks like yourself and other people who have really sort of called that out and 
wave the flag uh, for those people, for those populations, uh, for that uh, area of mission. So that's been good. And obviously there has been a little bit of kind of work uh, in that area. It's actually, I was just reading this morning in the least the last and the last mm. book that FIC, the biggest percentage of your of the place of church story, if you strip out mm. the kind of one massive mm. church, um, is in deprived communities. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've got six or seven Christian churches in the FIC as yeah. well. So again, we don't want to be seen here as people that are coming from the outside saying FIC are terrible. We, yeah. We're on this and. Yeah. And we're definitely seeing that trend. I think you're right. Yeah. And I think that's the, the key thing. It's kind of relative because even in church, even in areas where there's a better degree of kind of evangelical witness or a kind of good going church, it's still a pinprick yeah. largely. So some people have expressed the kind of frustration that often new church plants come into a city and they all head to the student area to, to set up a cappuccino bar, mm. you know, or the prosperous areas uh, to get the kind of lower hanging fruit uh, as they might see it. Uh, and some of the more kind of deprived areas, the kind of big industrial areas, the East End of Glasgow, for example, you know, is very neglected. Um, and of course that is a kind of frustration at one level that there's not more church planting going on in like the East End where we are now and uh, other places. Uh, but you don't want to be too critical of people that are coming in. Well, you don't want to be too critical, Andy. Uh, <laughs> of those other places, because I, I mean, there's still relative need there. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's more than enough kind of work to be done. Um, but but there is an issue there that we do need to kind of reorientate and recalibrate a bit to say, well, actually, you know, if there's areas where there's virtually nothing going on, mm -hmm. or it's a kind of desert in many ways uh, for the gospel. Uh, putting lots of resources and backing into kind of churches where there's already kind of gospel mm -hmm. witness going on. Maybe that's a bit of a luxury, you know? I also think it's a bit of a double whammy, right? Because in the more middle class, in the middle class community, you're far more mobile. Mm -hmm. So you're, you could drive here, you're working mm -hmm. here, you're going to the gym here, you're mm -hmm. going to the pub. You're more likely in that sense, mm -hmm. I think, to come across, mm -hmm. even though there's a low percentage of Christians, you're more likely to come across a Christian, whereas our community is far less mobile. Mm. A lot of people live their lives within the kind of defined boundary of the scheme. They might go to the shopping centre right there, but mm. then they'll come back and my family's here, my mm. kids go to school here, my full life's here. Yeah. And so there's far less access, even if it were, everything else is even, mm. I think there'd be far less access for people from a, who live mm. in a scheme community to the gospel. Yeah. Never mind the fact that we also were skewed the other way and we were planting. Mm. So I definitely do feel that it's a massive problem Mm. And I, we would totally mm. agree that, as we just spoke a mm. lot about, Scotland as a whole nation isn't. Mm. But I do think that the imperative for us is to go to the least reached people mm. and and try and plant churches there mm. and plant the gospel there. And I hope that actually that is going to spread and become a movement mm. of the gospel that will mm. affect everywhere else. Like one of the big things we often think about is that whole trickle down effect. Mm. So that a lot of people, Tim Keller, in some ways, who in many ways, mm great guy, brother in Christ, but would talk about, you go for the elites of society, mm. and that's why people plant in like the business districts and mm. the middle class people, and you, if you get the elites of society, mm. then the gospel's gonna trickle down, mm. and then the kind of poorer, more deprived, well, mm. the gospel will get there. Mm. I just think the problem is that's not happened. And also secondly, that's not the God, that's not what the Bible pushes mm. through, isn't it? Like Jesus went to the, yeah. the bottom of society, and then, um, and we want to expect, I think, I think um, in the book, Bez talks about it, like salmoning up or mm. that kind of salmon job that actually we, we should expect the opposite. That as we go and focus on the people with the least access, 
in that um, when we have the greatest physical need, but actually also spiritually, that we should expect that to yeah. um, spin up. Anyway, this is just on our hobby horse here. Yeah. I don't know why I'm taking over the podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> no, no, it's, it's really helpful. And you're right. I mean, I think in that, these books like Unreached and mm-hmm. The Least, Last and the Lost and other work that's been done, you know, I think makes that point very well, you know, that we sometimes have a very kind of worldly, kind of almost slightly carnal view of kind of who are important, who we should try to reach and how we do mission. Uh, that we're kind of maybe slightly starry-eyed about yeah. getting the celebrities or the kind of big hitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, well, where did Jesus go? And also historically, how has the church grown? Mm-hmm. You know, in the early centuries, uh, it grew among largely poorer sections of society and the outcasts and the slaves and the neglected um, because they welcomed the message in the way that others didn't. Uh, and Jesus said that would exactly be the case. Um, like, what am I kind of passions as we work in the West of Scotland, though, is that what I don't want to see is a kind of us and them approach to this. Like, we are here working in the pride communities, you are there mm. doing this, and it's like kind of competition. Like, I don't think mm. we're brothers and sisters yeah. in Christ, we were, are one. Mm. Um, and I want to try and foster that kind of, which what you're doing, the all 20 schemes, but foster that kind of partnership so that some of these bigger churches that maybe have a more middle-class demographic, so your mm. Harpers, your Greenviews, people like that, would actually catch that vision and see them as a church that would then plant into mm. some of the more deprived communities mm. that don't have access to the gospel. And we want to resource that. We want to train the people who do that. But we want these churches not just to think, right, we'll go to 20 schemes and, and hope communities for ladder, they mm. can plant into there. But actually that if the need is right about them, they mm. as a church, you as a church, yeah. would catch that vision and do that. So do you think, like, is there, what are some of the barriers maybe that stop that happening? like in over the last like 30, 40 years or why mm. are the bigger city centre churches not trying to plant in these type of communities? Because I think some of the yeah. barriers might be legit yeah. in my mind. So what? Like, yeah, what it's, it's a big challenge, isn't it? Because obviously every church tends to work to its capacity to some mm. extent, you know, and is always trying to sort of, you know, do as much ministry as it can do. Uh, most leaders are trying to do that, uh, utilise the resources, so the danger is, of course, you can, can get a bit kind of consumed mm-hmm. with all your in-house stuff in your own kind of patch, which is good why in the last few decades there has been a big emphasis in church planting and churches kind of looking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, of course, then people tend to look at areas that are similar to their own or where do their people live at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll tend to live often in similar areas. So if you're doing a church plant, it might be kind of replicating a similar kind of model yeah. in a similar kind of place. So I guess it's trying to cast that kind of vision. Uh, I guess the roots go quite deep. There can be a bit of a middle-class prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, as conservative evangelicals, we will often rail against a prosperity gospel, but we'll have our own kind of subtle version of it mm-hmm. in terms of kind of our own kind of aspirations about career mm-hmm. and where we live and the schools that we go to and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, and we can address that up as kind of stewardship and responsibility mm-hmm. and hard work. And there's truth and all that, but of course it can also be a smokescreen for just not wanting to push ourselves out of our comfort zones uh, or go to other places. Like that's certainly been the whole like kind of social mm. lift or like even again some of the, the churches in, in more middle class mm. demographics definitely have believers from working class backgrounds, mm. but it does tend to happen someone would hear the gospel get mm. saved and then move up and move out mm. and would kind of get more and I think in the past that's almost been seen as that's the automatically effect of the gospel. Mm. That as you get saved, you then move up mm. in society, which again is mm. horrendously wrong. But I do think that across the board, yeah. 
has been the place mm-hmm. in many ways as well. And it, it's funny, I find, so our family moving into a housing scheme from like, I don't know, mm-hmm. class lad. And I find people have found that in many ways weird and why are you doing that? But if you were to go to Brazil or go to Africa, you're, it's like, oh, great, like you're going to mm-hmm. you're a missionary for the Lord and, mm-hmm. and we want to take the gospel to these communities. But there is that weird kind of dynamic mm-hmm. where yeah. we're not going to go here to yeah. these places here. Yeah. And we have, and we'll get on to this now, but we have far more people from America yeah. coming to minister yeah. in our communities than we do yeah. from middle class communities yeah. down the road. Like yeah. I have pretty much no one from a middle class community in Scotland move into our community. Mm. Whereas I've had, I've had numerous people over the years move from across the world. Mm. And that's not for lack of trying. Mm. Like I remember at Harper, that was one of the things we wanted to be strong in, like, please come catch this vision mm. and move in. And it wasn't that people mm. didn't see the need, it wasn't mm. that we weren't kind, we wanted to do something about it. But I do mm. think there is something in that kind of psyche mm. that it's, it's uncomfortable and that's for somebody else, that's not for me. Mm. I think that there's definitely a kind of psychological kind of reorientation we need yeah. and I guess because we've had such a strong and historic kind of Christian kind mm-hmm. of culture and legacy where we've been the people that have sent out missionaries yeah. to other parts of the world so even in my kind of lifetime if you had thought going back a bit beyond my lifetime but you go back to 1700s like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the 50s or something <laughs> like that you know um and you had named anywhere in the UK, mm-hmm. you probably could have been reasonably confident there'd be some kind of church there and probably some kind of evangelical witness, some kind of work going on in that community, that town, that area. Uh, you could have taken that for granted a bit. Wouldn't it be entirely true, but largely you'd have gone to some town in Scotland mm-hmm. and there'd be something going on you know, for Christ. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, that's not the case. There's huge population areas, there's whole towns, whole communities where there's really nothing going on. Sometimes there's not even a church of any description, mm. never mind one that's going to share uh, the gospel clearly with people. So we have to move away from the mindset where we're still thinking of mission and being missionaries as basically going abroad mm. um, and actually realizing we need a much more kind of missionary mindset mm-hmm. in our own kind of country actually moving from one side of the city to another mm-hmm. you, know, it, you know is actually what's required mm-hmm. now uh, and honestly see if people like see if five percent of members of some mm-hmm. of the churches that are more middle class mm-hmm. after communities moved into a housing mm-hmm. scheme it would revolutionize the ministry that we could mm-hmm. do in these communities that like most of the time what we need more than interns and gospel workers is just healthy members that will mm-hmm. come and live their lives alongside mm. these people and, and point them to Jesus. And yeah. like, honestly, that if people are listening to this yeah. and are wondering, people, I, the conversation I had last week, why are Americans coming? Why mm. is it all about these Americans coming? And I'm like, I would love people in Scotland to mm. catch that vision yeah. and move in. And again, it's not saying that the places where they are now have no need. Yeah. Like every community in Scotland has needs, yeah. right? We need churches in all these communities. Yeah. But I do think yeah. statistically yeah. and just experientially that the most deprived communities mm. have far less access and, mm. and therefore the influence a family or two mm. could have would be, would be mm. massive. There's definitely a kind of mindset shift is needed there, isn't there? And I guess maybe for people who come from the States, because it is more like kind of foreign mission at yeah, one level, definitely. then that psychological barrier is not such a big thing to cross. Mm. Lots of other barriers to cross, yeah. don't, get me, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm in awe of people that would move across the Atlantic and come to Scotland yeah, yeah. and so thankful for them. Uh, but one of the issues, of course, is that we still have a mindset in our churches where if somebody says, I'm going to become a missionary and go to Africa or Asia, 
uh, often we can generate quite good support for them, you know. Uh, whereas if somebody says, well, I want to go to a small struggling church somewhere else, the mentality to raise support and to get behind them uh, isn't there. Uh, and one of the issues is in terms of raising up people, kind of indigenous Scots to go to some of the churches and the places you're talking about, or even just kind of struggling churches and kind of Sc Scottish towns and various places, is the kind of resources, yeah. is funding. Yeah. Um, I was speaking to an American guy yesterday working in the UK, and you know they've been kind of bringing across sort of workers and families mm. to sort of work in UK churches and do church planting and great stuff that's going on there. Um, and of course, he's asking me about opportunities in Scotland, and I'm sort of trying to sort of talk about various kind of situations where there are churches who would love to have a pastor or a worker mm -hmm. who see the need to be revitalized, who want to grow again, who recognize they need some fresh leadership, but they just don't have the funds to do that. Uh, so increasingly, almost having to kind of look to people to come from the States yeah. to fill those gaps, which is brilliant, but because they've got the funding, mm -hmm. whereas guys in Scotland who probably could do some of those jobs, not enough of them, but could do those jobs. But I don't know where the funding's going to come from uh, for that to happen. And that's where like, we are so thankful and blessed mm. to have the support of brothers and sisters mm. around the world, yeah. through 20 schemes particularly, that are catching that vision mm. and are able to, we're willing and able to fund mm. it because they see, and it's obviously easier to see from a distance, mm. but they see the real missionary need mm. for this context mm. in our communities. And so I would always be saying to people, like, don't let money be an excuse. Yeah. Like, we, the Lord is not skint, right? Mm. The money we will, and I know it's easy to say that, right? And I'm not saying that it's easy, there's loads of options. But what I'm saying is, if you feel the Lord is giving you this passion to come, then come and talk to us. Mm. And there'll be people that we know that might help fund this and we can and we can do that. Or there's other ways we can mm. think you through it. I guess where I was also trying to get to was, so your Greenviews, your Harpers, churches in more middle class communities. And then also this plays out at the individual mm. level can often think we could never do that. Like, and we've had conversations before, like church planting sometimes gets billed as like, you need this like Superman character mm. that's gonna come in and plant a church and be this big kind of mm. personality. And, and I said to you, if that's the case, that would never be us. Mm. <laughs> I think to plant a church, what you need is willingness and trust that all show in is endurance, mm. right? So it's hard church planting, but it's not hard because you need to be so gifted and talented. I don't think it's mm. hard because you're gonna get battered and you're going to need to look to Jesus and endure. Mm. And so my, I guess, hope over the next number of years as we focus in the west of Scotland is that other of these good gospel churches mm. that I love, like mm. your Greenfields Harpers, okay, there's mm. two that are closest to us, would see actually if the need's there mm. on our doorstep and we're willing to go and do that, then the Lord will provide the rest, mm. isn't it? And, and as 20 schemes in the West, I want to be resourcing people, mm. I want to be training people, I want to be finding money, I want to be giving, like, mm. helping build teams and help with all mm. the contextual stuff, because yeah. it is hard, yeah. right? And we are moving cultures from yeah. a middle-class culture to working-class culture, mm. but that happens all around the mm. world. And I think if you're willing to do it, and if you see the need and say, you know what, this is going to be hard, mm. but instead of planting a church that looks like me in a place mm. that looks like ours, the need's here, and I wonder if the Lord would use us to do that. Mm. I think that they would. I think the Lord would in that. Yeah. That's where I want to see a lot of that kind of growth in the rest of Scotland. Yeah. No, I think that's a vision they just need to share more and more uh, across churches, uh, to encourage people to think about that, to pray about that, uh, to see that need, 
uh, for larger churches to do it. I mean, huge number of FIEC churches are small churches, yeah. so they're kind of, you know, mm -hmm. living on a shoestring as it is and just trying to get by and seeing their own need for revitalization. But that kind of bigger vision does need to be kind of cast mm -hmm. because many of those churches would be in those areas, as mm -hmm. you've mentioned, and would have those kind of needs uh, and for the bigger churches as well. Uh, who often are investing and supporting yeah, stuff, you know, so want to acknowledge that and, you know, be thankful for definitely. that. Um, and, you know, we're all kind of quite strapped, no, you know, sure. uh, across the board. Uh, but definitely that kind of vision is something you need to get out there, you know, that kind of trying to change that mindset about mission mm -hmm. uh, and what mission is and what that looks like uh, in our UK context today, that it's not something which is just kind of overseas or uh, far away. Uh, and also just encouraging people to be sacrificial in their kind of giving uh, yeah, and to invest in the kingdom of God uh, in the long term. And it's also being patient, isn't it? Because that's one thing about church planting is that often people are looking for a bit of a kind of, yeah. you know, big bang for their buck, you know, and lots of results and, you know, for uh, a big return. But actually, gospel work is historically kind of slow mm -hmm. and small and incremental. So one of the books that I've enjoyed reading in recent years is Rodney Stark's The Triumph of Christianity, and he talks about the growth of Christianity really throughout its history. Lots of interesting observations he makes. But he talks about in the first kind of couple of centuries of Christianity, really kind of post-Pentecost, maybe up until the time of Constantine, where Christianity became yeah. then the kind of official religion. He estimates that the church probably grew at a rate of about 3.4% a year during that period. Now that gets you, over a couple of hundred years, that's a lot because compound interest, you know, has its effect, it stacks up. So by the time you get it's to a good financial illustration there, by the time you get to <laughs> Constantine, you know, you're kind of at a tipping point almost in terms of the, you know, society being yeah. pretty much Christian in terms of majority of people's affiliation. But the point about that is if you were in Athens Evangelical Church in 150 AD. I like to call it Hope Community Church Athens. but That's sure. the one, yes, I'm forgetting that, yeah. <laughs> so if you're in that church, Evangelical Church in Athens in 150 AD, and you had 100 members, by the end of that year you might expect to have 103, or maybe 104 in a good year. And of course the growth wasn't kind of uniform over that 200 years. Sometimes it might have gone back, yeah. sometimes it might have been in the very low kind of percentage points, you know, there'd be phases where there'd been a great kind of influx of people and the church might have kind of really kind of flourished. Um, and I think we're in one of those times where, you know, 3.4%, you know, would be a great return, you know, for our efforts and our labors. I think many of us aren't even seeing that. Um, but it's, so, so it's a slow process. Yeah. And uh, and, that's why it's about endurance. Uh, and not to be yeah. naive about church history mm -hmm. that, you know, that in all of church history, you know, there was this kind of amazing kind of explosive growth everywhere. There were points like that, but actually for much of it, it was just Christians getting on with witnessing and living well among their neighbours and being lights for Christ mm -hmm. uh, and seeing very modest kind of growth overall. And again, and that's why I want to, in some ways, like demystify mm -hmm. what we're considering as 20 schemes, because mm -hmm. It is really just living mm. in a community surrounded by people who need Jesus, living with Jesus, sharing the gospel. Yeah. And again, we need to think carefully about some of the cultural differences and how the gospel can pierce there. But in reality, what we're trying to do in the richest community in Scotland is what we're trying to do in the poorest community in Scotland, yeah. which is live 
for Jesus, share Jesus, and just pray that mm. his spirit moves and bring people to him. And mm. I guess the concern is we're not doing that percentage-wise mm. in some of these communities, and we, and we want to do that more. And I think everybody yeah. does want yeah. to do that more. And I think it's just about thinking through, well, how then together mm. can we do this? So I guess the two big takeaways, honestly, like is one for churches. Like if there's church leaders that mm. are thinking about this stuff, I want to think it through more. I'd love to get a copy of that book, Least the Last of the Lost, to them. Uh, particularly the West of Scotland, I'd love just to chat yeah. um, to us a bit more about how mm. can all of us together mm. who come for the same convictions mm. think about doing this and kind of demystify that. I'd love to mm. get people talking. But I think even more so, I think what we need to see or would love to see is not just more from America coming. We mm. need that, right? Again, I always say in the West of Scotland, certainly, that the need is as great as the amount of people that we can mm. get. So we've got three church planters we're planning and training just now. We're going to send them out to three communities. If we had five, we could send them out to five communities. So the mm. need is as great as the amount of people we could get. We need more from America and from all around the world. But I would love to see more from Scotland. Mm. I'd love to see more from Britain. People that mm. maybe were in the place that I was and thought, I could never plant a church. Mm. Like I'm not a massive big bodybuilder, like big personality <laughs> guy. I just, if you love Jesus... If you love people mm. and you love the church and we love to talk to people mm. like that and i reckon there must be people in churches in scotland mm. that see that need mm. and that maybe just want to move in and, and be part of, of helping as members of these churches but maybe also the lord is calling to plant or to be in full-time ministry mm. in these communities and as twice games we'd love to train people alongside that we'd love to do that in the local mm. church alongside and mm. kind of different organizations as well but if if you know if people are listening mm. that fall into that bracket and the Lord you feel is calling yeah. you, we'd love to talk about that too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd really get at this yeah. together because yeah. this is the mm. mission of yeah. the church, right? We want to see this happen. No, we do. We do. We need we need it all, don't we? We need yeah. people to come um, because the need is huge um, and we need to see people being raised up yeah. uh, among us. Both those things need to happen. They're not either ors. They're definitely yeah. both ands because we're in such a situation in Scotland now in terms of gospel needs, you know, that we need all the the help we can get. Uh, we need all the good gospel men and women uh, that want to come, to come. Uh, but we also do need to have that kind of vision to raise up uh, people from our own churches and to cast that vision and to think about how we support them uh, and to see that happening. And the other element of this, I guess, which is worth mentioning is immigration. Uh, actually, the growth of churches that have been started by people who have been coming to the UK in recent years, mm -hmm. uh, ethnic minority background churches, uh, I was at a seminar during lockdown with a Ghanaian academic who'd been doing some research in Glasgow, and she reckoned that there's over 100 churches that she had recorded that had started in Glasgow wow. since 2000. She thinks they were largely unrecorded by the kind of Briarly census mm -hmm. in 2016, uh, the majority of which are from an BAME kind of background, you know, whether sort of Nigerian or uh, Asian kind of background churches, uh, often under the radar because they're meeting in living rooms and up sort of stairs and things like that, you know, out the way, shop fronts. Uh, but God is working there. Um, you know, these seeds are being sown, these little communities. Uh, what's really encouraging is that many of our brothers and sisters in those churches do have a real heart to reach their white British kind of neighbours. Um, and so there's lots of things going on um, and that could be the seed of kind of great gospel growth in years to come uh, but equally we need to be partnering there but we need to be because what we ourselves. want to see is 
churches or people mm. from every background yeah. in the communities where we are. Yeah. Like, again, that's what we always say. We're not trying to plant 20 working class churches. Mm. We're trying to plant mm. 20 churches in working class mm. areas. And many of our churches, in fact, I would say most of our churches now in 20 schemes have got black and African minority mm. communities yeah. Yeah. as members. Yeah. And we see that more and more in the scheme communities. And again, we would love to see, I mean, that's Ephesians. Mm. We're one in Christ. Mm. We want to be united together and take the gospel to those around us. Yeah. Hey, Andy, thank you so much. That's been helpful. Sure. You brought the stats. You brought the chat. I'm really thankful. <laughs> I've just tried to muddle along here, um, yeah. which is really good. But um, yeah. thankful for you. Well, no, the Lord bless what you're doing, Pete, and the work here and that wider vision for Scotland. Uh, and we just need to keep sharing it. And I've actually, there's a house down the road for sale. Are we going to go see that just now as well for you? Yeah, well, so you put me on the spot now, haven't you? You know, so yeah, well, that's the thing. It's a challenge for, for every one of us. So. Yeah. Right, guys, thanks for listening. Any questions, comments, please get in touch. We're going to put a couple of links. In, in the comments as well there's one that that blog we wrote about we need people from scotland and britain to come so please be reading that too but thank you for you andy we'll okay. see you next time for the next green view elder on 20 <laughs> <laughs>